sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. I'm Simon Rose, and now it's time for the Financial Outlook for Personal Investors, in which Russ Mould, Investment Director of AJ Bell, looks at the world of investment from a UK perspective. So um, what are we going to be looking at today, Russ? I'm going to look at initial public offerings, because they're kind of in the news for various reasons. I mean, you know, the UK this year has probably attracted more bad press, initial public offerings, because Deliveroo didn't go well, AlphaWave didn't go well. The, the suggestion that the UK rules and regulations are too tight and a disincentive to companies to list here and the arguments that the UK doesn't like entrepreneurs, which I think is cobblers, um, to use a technical term. Yes. But also you've, you've had um, two or three IPOs pulled just this week, in fact, Marek Spectrum, the commodities broker, uh, and, a, and, a, and another couple of others. So I just thought I'd have a look at it because although IPOs can be great, they're not always a brilliant sign if you get an absolute dollop of them all at the same time. And, and, and it just made me think of uh, John Brooks's book, The Go-Go Years, the drama and crashing finale of the Wall Street's bullish 1960s. And, and in there, there's a, there's a quote, if one fact is glaringly obvious, it's that a new issue's craze is, is the final stage of a dangerous boom. Um, so although there's a lot of griping about how maybe it's hard for companies to, to satisfy investors and, and list in the UK. Frankly, I'd probably personally view that as a good thing because it's probably saving people money because, you know, you, and what's wrong with that? I mean, I'm, you know, and this isn't to be, I'm all, I mean, stock markets are there to raise appropriately priced risk capital so entrepreneurs can develop their ideas, make things, employ people and get the economy going. That's what it's there for. So I, Yes. That's well, the primary function, book. yeah, that's the primary function. But that's the primary function. Not the one most people think of. No, but it is the primary function. But, equ but equally, what you don't want it to be is an opportunity for get-rich-quick merchants to flog paper to people that's overvalued at the wrong time of the economic cycle. So I actually think by being pretty tight on issues such as valuation or corporate governance and, and, and shareholding structures, the much maligned active fund manager is actually probably doing people, I think, a bit of a favour and what, what is interesting is for all of the wailing and gnashing of teeth over Deliveroo and, and to a lesser degree Alpha Web, I think there have been 40 odd IPOs in the UK this year and the average gain from IPO price is 24%. Now I accept from a private investor's point of view there's a niggle there because it's still ridiculously hard, unfairly hard for private investors to participate in floats at the offering price and, and that's generally having worked for an investment bank for a long time, albeit now many aeons ago, um, that's greed and speed on behalf of the offering, the, the, the syndicate managers, the banks, and the issuer. Because it's much easier to place dollops of stock with a few yeah. select institutions than fudge about with lots and lots of private individuals. And, and it, that was the big just, difference with privatisation, wasn't it? The, yeah. For the first Correct. time, everybody Tell got a did. chance. And, and everybody, got a, everybody, everybody got a chance. And in, in this world online world it, it really i would like to think can't be that hard to give people retail opportunity investors the opportunity to participate but that's a separate debate but the issue is the average gain from the float price this year has been 24 percent. so those that have come through have passed the test and are so far off to a decent start I, and i view that again as a good thing those entrepreneurs or companies have raised the capital they need if they needed it which i admit doc martins didn't um and they're hopefully gonna be able to invest grow, employ, and, and do what the salt market's ultimately there to do. So I think you haven't 
maybe, I mean, the US, when we talked about the SPAC craze, that's now gone a little bit cool. And IPOs are cooling in the US. And you, you did get a sense that people felt that booming stock markets were a chance to sell. And you've raised just over three billion pounds of primary money in the UK so far this year. That's initial public offerings. Now, that's the highest level for this stage of the year since 2015. But it's not a patch on, say, the you know, 10 and 13 billion at the turn of the last decade or the six billion plus of 2000, 2001, when things really were yes. ripping along. So you're nowhere near those go-go years. May I Though there aren't as many listed companies, are there now? No, we went through that big de-equitization stage of buybacks and M&A. And I think a lot of it was in the UK down to about the AIM has been whittled down probably about half in size because there was a huge boom in AIM listings 2005 to seven during a mega bull market, during a mega bull market in commodities. And lo and behold, who rolled up loads and loads of oil in mining companies, some of which did have a business and an awful lot of which didn't. So, you know, and again, I think that I think after the change in the, the AIM rules there uh, on terms of transparency, disclosure, websites and so on, um, I think, again, there's been a natural self-policing element to, and a few scandals for good measure. Um, and I think there's been a natural self-policing element to them. And again, that means that the number of listed companies has, has gone down. Um, the other thing that is worth bearing in mind, and it, it made me think of my go-go years at, at, at an investment bank, was that when 2001-2 began to really go wrong, the one thing that struck me, one of the many things that struck me at the time, was how keen private equity and venture capitalist sellers were still to keep selling their stock, even though the share price was cratering. Uh, and a lot of that was down to the fact that they backed the companies from a very young age. So frankly, any outprice for them yes. was a profit. <laughs> so I think it was a big warning signal that to, to private and institutional investors, that even if say something had halved since its IPO or gone, or gone worse, they were still happy to sell. They just didn't care. So there was this tidal wave of secondary offerings so once the company's listed, you've then got management or you've got rights to selling or rights issues or the ultimate back, the, 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 the end backers, the venture capitalists, private equities, management, everybody's still saying, have as many as you want. We don't care. We'll, you know, every 180 days, we're going to sell you as many, as many as you want. So this year, we've had about nine and a half billion pounds worth of secondary listings, of secondary offerings so far. And a lot of that is companies repairing balance sheets, trying to fight their way through the pandemic. Some of it is for growth. Now, again, that's the highest since 2015, but it's nowhere near the amount that we saw at the same stage in 2001-2, for example, seven and a half or 12 billion in 2001, for example, when, again, there was just indiscriminate selling. So those two figures combined, nearly 13 billion pounds, um, but again, not a patch on 15, not below 15, and nowhere near 2006-7, 2001-2. So I would view that as a vaguely encouraging sign, because in the end, there's the old saying, when does a bull market stop where it ends when the money runs out? So at the moment you've had investors being asked to pony up nearly 13 billion pounds for IPOs and secondaries, but they've raked in about 8 billion pounds from share buybacks and about 30 billion pounds from dividends. So in that respect, the cash flow is still going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. If there's a good deal comes along with good management, with a sound business model, with maybe a bit of a historical track record and a decent valuation, I think there'll be plenty of appetite because there's plenty of money looking for a home. I think it's interesting that Marek Spectrum didn't fly um, because they were looking to list as a commodities broker when the Bloomberg Commodities Index was at an old time, basically getting back to its old time high, which in, in the end, if a broker doesn't know when to start selling things, then mm. kind of probably nobody does. Does that make sense? I think people yes. were 
fairly or unfairly a little bit jaundiced uh, about that one, but also about it because the last really big mining float in the UK was Glencore, and that was in 2011, and they floated when the Bloomberg Commodities Index was at an all-time high, basically where it is now. So again, commodities trader extraordinaire, surprise, surprise, knows when to sell its stock. Duh. And so I think, you know, that perhaps people were, were therefore a little bit wary of, of Marex for the same result. And if you look at the Coinbase global share price, well, they floated, and basically Bitcoin's never been the same since. So again, the broker sells, prime asset starts to perform less well, kind of again a, a, an interesting phenomenon. So I think it's always worth bearing in mind when you are an investor looking at an IPO, or like, well, if it's such a brilliant idea for me to buy, why are they selling? Is a really obvious question to ask. And I know that um, for talking to one or two journalists, I'm, I'm not sure that some of the floats that we've just talked about necessarily had the ideal answers. So that is always an, a key question. Where's the money going? You know, and, and, and therefore, why should I be handing it over if, if that's the case? Well, at least the good news is there is not yet a craze in IPOs, a deluge of secondaries. And if you started to see that, I would become an awful lot more worried mm. than I would be right now. You, you could argue that if it's such a good time to buy, why are they selling? You could argue that about almost any transaction. You can, but I think what's, what's interesting, I think then you need to put that in context, you know, the Bloomberg Commodities Index sits an all-time high, so why is a commodity broker looking you know, at that? Those are the sort of then you need, to, yes. you need to look at the background. But yeah, in many cases, the company's looking to raise money because it needs the money to invest in its business. You know, that again, that goes back to what the stock market is there for. But in some cases, it isn't always the money going to the company. It's going to the, the sell, it's going to the backers who are just getting out rather than necessarily investing. I have no problem with the company. Mm. If it's, you know, we need the money, give it to us, please. We're going to do these five things with it for the long-term good of the business. Perfect. I have absolutely no problem with that. So now I accept that my employee, when it floated, actually didn't raise any capital. Because it didn't, it didn't need it. And touch wood, you know, it's still got excess regulatory capital now. But the, the reason for AJ Bell closing was raise the profile of the business. Because in the end, people don't, if people don't know you, hear of you, then they don't trust you with their money. And quite frankly, mm. quite right too. So there was a legitimate reason. So again, you just need to go into the background for why the company's floating or why is it selling the paper or why it's doing what it's doing. It's not always going to prepare to be cynical about it because that 24% gain this year average tells you as much, but you do need to think about it all the same. Uh, Russ, thank you very much. So it sounds as if there's a slightly mixed picture, but unlike some of the other indicators we've talked about in previous weeks, you're not really saying that this is top of the market stuff. It, does, it doesn't, it doesn't show like, that it's top of the market. It doesn't feel like it in this respect in the UK. It, it, it did feel pretty uncomfortable in the US earlier on in the year. And we still need to be a little bit careful there. And some of the meme stock action, again, that you've seen this week does feel very reminiscent. But it, it, again, we should sound like an old footy duty that what you're seeing in the US and is very much similar about a rolling bull market where it moves from kind of one asset class or mm. sub-asset class to the next because there's just so much hot money flowing around. And that's very similar to the 1690s exchange alley boom in the UK, which, funny, perhaps not entirely coincidentally, uh, really began to kick off just after the foundation of the Bank of England in 1694. <laughs> so, again, central bank provision of liquidity, you know, front and centre stage uh, as early as the 1690s. So, uh, again, I think, while we, we still do probably have financial markets that you could argue are over-liquefied, and that's where you're almost seeing rolling bubbles, particularly in the US, where it will move next. Don't know. I mean, I've read some papers that are saying maybe it is going to be gold's turn at long last if people are getting a bit bored of cryptos, but we'll find out at the moment. Until I think you really start to see central banks actively talk about re- withdrawing that liquidity, you, you know, it, 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 it is hard to stand in the way. Mm. If we at some stage, 
valuation will have its say as ever though we, we just don't we, we we never know when that's the problem russ thank you very much indeed i've been in conversation with russ mold investment director of aj bell looking at the world of investment from a uk perspective in the financial outlook for personal investors sharing ideas about money this is share radio